Amen. Thank you for that. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 as we get started tonight. You praying for Connie and her ankle. She had surgery on her ankle uh, just a year or two ago and it's given her trouble again. And so be praying for her. Also be praying for uh, the Ayers family. Carolee is, is really struggling today and um, she's... Uh, She's sleeping uh, 24 hours and, and not waking up at all. And so be praying for Dawn. And her kids are here, Myrna and Steve, uh, to be with her during this time. And yeah, So be praying for them, especially if you want. Galatians chapter 5. Anybody need notes? Oh my goodness. We've just got a whole host of them tonight. All right. They're coming. They're coming. Galatians chapter 5. I'll tell you what, it was fun to see some of these kids. Uh, we had at the carnival on Friday night, we had sumo suits for the first time. And some of the kids went in the sumo suits and wrestled each other. And that was a sight to behold. Um, we even had some adults who went out of and that really got crazy. So it was a fun time. Everybody get notes? Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ made us free, and be not entangled again. That's an important word here. With the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now this phrase is one that we're really going to spend some time on tonight. It's so I really want you to note it. Fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. <laughs> and let's pray. Father, would you work in our time tonight that every person in the room would have an understanding of your word, yeah, we pray that even the small children in here would be able to understand uh, the difference between grace and law and uh, why you have given us the book of Galatians uh, for us to continue to use in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been studying this all along. Uh, there was a struggle going on in the region of Galatia, and many of these young Christians who uh, were Gentiles and they were being persuaded by Judaizers that to really be Christians, that they had to not only have Jesus Christ in their lives and be saved, but they had to get under the law. They had to make sure that, that they were keeping every part of the Jewish law, and that would give them the highest fulfillment of salvation. Now, we have the same thing today in different circles of religion and legalism. One example I can think of, uh, there are groups that teach you 
that salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit happen at different times. So they tell you, you can be saved, and that'll get you started, but then you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you have to speak in tongues, and you have to be able to heal, and you have to do these various things to really be saved. And if you never get to that point, then eh, you may not make it. So there, there are those same type of heresies or tricks that are being thrown about, and there are a lot of confused people. And Paul, as he speaks to the Galatians in this passage, he gets very blatant with them and tells them to stand fast in the liberty and not to be entangled again. That means they had been entangled before. Now, the bondage they had been entangled in before was sin. And he's telling them that to be entangled again would be entangled in the law, the bondage of the law or the bondage of works or the bondage of finding acceptance through works. And he wanted them to be aware of that. We say in your notes as we start off, many of the Galatians were tempted to return to the law in order to avoid persecution from their family and friends. There are more people who have made religious or churchy decisions because they want to avoid persecution from family and friends than probably any other realm. And uh, these people were no different. They were worried what other people would think. And when he's talking about liberty here, now we're going to cover this later, he's not talking about a license to do wrong or to sin, but he's talking about the ability to serve and to love Jesus Christ because I desire to. Not because I'm in bondage to any set of rules or any list or any law. And so he, he wanted this clarified in their lives. We say in your notes again, any Christian that is not following the lead of the Holy Spirit is living in bondage to someone or something. Okay, so it's this simple. Um, you're either living in the Spirit or you're living in something else. Paul said in Philippians, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, for you to live is something. I don't know what it is. For you to live may be to go to work, or to have a family, or to spend time with your kids, or weekends, or NASCAR, or football, or sewing, or shopping, whatever it's going to be. You live for that. And when we have these instances in our lives where Jesus Christ is not supreme and He's not at the top, then we have a place where we become in bondage to someone or something. Now, we don't like to see it that way, but that's actually the way it is when we grow in bondage. Look at Ephesians, the next book. We see another contrast here. God is so good because He gives us word pictures that show us what it means to be filled or to be led by the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Look at the contrast here. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right? Now this is not a lesson tonight on wine or on alcohol. 
Um, I've, we've talked about that many times. This is a lesson on a contrast in the Scripture between drunkenness and the influence that alcohol has on a person and the influence that the Spirit has on a person. Right? How many of you have ever in your life seen someone that was drunk? Right? Seen someone that was drunk. Okay? Now, we could ask questions. We could get feedback from the audience tonight. But I think we'll, we could figure this out. How did you know that person was drunk? Right? There were signs that were obvious. Their walk may have been peculiar. If they could even walk at all. Their talk may have been odd or out of the ordinary or slurred. Their actions may have been impaired. They may have been very, very happy, or they may have been very, very sad. Yeah, there were mood swings that were going on. There were signs of this effect that this alcohol was having on them as a person. And the contrast here is that we should be filled with the Spirit to such a degree that other people notice that our walk in Jesus Christ and through the Spirit should be a peculiar walk. People should look at that and say, whoa, that's odd. Nobody else is doing it that way. That our speech should be so clear and so plain and so beautiful in Christ that other people notice. Something's different about that person and the way they talk and the way they live and the way they act. So there's a contrast. And, and as he introduced that in Ephesians chapter 5, back in Galatians 5, we understand that to be in bondage is when we aren't living in the Spirit. So if we're not following the lead of the Holy Spirit, we are in bondage to someone or something. So he goes on to tell you, If you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So he's, what he's saying is, if you get circumcised, it doesn't do you any good for eternity. It has nothing to do with eternity. Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross means absolutely nothing at that point. He says that He is a debtor to do the whole law. So if you think that keeping one part of the law gets you eternal life based on your works or based on your merits, then to be able to do that, you have to keep the whole law. You have to keep the whole entire thing. You can't ever mess up. In your notes, we say it this way. Salvation must be all of grace. I think there's a typo on that one. Salvation must be all of grace, or it is not grace at all. It has to be all grace, or it's not grace at all. No mixture. No in-between. Either all works, or all grace. And that's what verse 4 starts to be about we get into verse number four and he says this christ is become of no effect unto you now can you imagine as they sit there and read this as a group and they hear the apostle paul say jesus christ is worthless to you can you imagine that it, it's hard to even hear that now Jesus Christ is worthless to you. His sacrifice on the cross means nothing. 
His offer of eternal life means nothing. Why? Because they had chosen to be justified by the law. Now you have to understand the beginning of this first half to, to understand the end of it. Okay, because we're going to hit this phrase, fallen from grace. And there are people who take this phrase out of context, capitalize on it, and try to make people doubt their salvation. Try to make people think that you can lose salvation and that grace can be fallen from in regards to eternal life. This entire verse is talking about people who had chosen to be saved by the law. Now, answer me yes or no. Can the law save anyone? No. Could anyone be justified by the law? No, absolutely not. So this is just a mindset. It's not a fact. It's not a reality. No one could be saved by the law. No one could be justified by the law. And so when Paul said to them, Christ is of no effect to you. He's worthless to you because you've chosen to be saved by the law. None of them could be saved by the law. Okay, so they had chosen to walk away from the sacrifice Jesus did on the cross and say, I don't want it, I'm trying a different thing. That is a rejection of the sacrifice Jesus made. Okay, now that's talking about in justification. The end of the verse, it then has this phrase we mentioned, you're fallen from grace. Let's look at what your notes have to say on this section. When a person works to be saved or remain saved, he is rejecting the very means necessary for salvation. Okay? So, I'm saved by grace, and now I've got to keep the whole law to stay saved. Well, in doing that, you're rejecting the very means that was needed for you to be saved in the first place. If you're going to get to God and His acceptance now by works then you have totally thrown away his sacrifice. And, and so he says he's become no effective. This is happening to people who were choosing willingly not to live in grace. Let's explain more about the term. Next in your notes. This is the only instance in which the term fallen from grace is used in Scripture. The believer's position of sonship, being a son or daughter, is unchanged. But the believer's liberty and therefore joy are lost. Okay, go back to verse number one. Let's clarify this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Who's he talking to? Believers. We're already free. And be not tangled entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he's talking to people who are already children of God. And he says, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And when we add this all up together, liberty is what's lost. When a believer falls from grace, he loses his liberty to serve God. He begins to serve out of bondage. He begins to serve out of fear. He begins to serve out of some type of a pressure in his life instead of serving because he loves Jesus Christ. He begins to live in a way that's not pleasing to God. And that's what it means when it says fallen from grace. This is not falling from eternal life. This is not falling from being a child of God. 
This is falling from liberty in Jesus Christ. Okay, so hopefully we put that all together, and you can understand that fallen from grace is not referring to salvation itself. Okay, this is, this is very clear in this passage that verse 4 is hypothetical in itself because no one could be justified by the law. Not one person ever on planet Earth. Verse 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Okay, so our hope's not in the law. Our hope's in Jesus Christ. And we wait on Him by faith. Verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. So what he's trying to get them to understand, the Judaizers are lying to you. Circumcision doesn't do anything to get you eternal life. Just like uncircumcision does nothing to get you eternal life. The state that you were in before you became a believer in Christ brought you nothing in regards to salvation. It didn't get you anywhere close to being saved. And the only way that you can have salvation is in Jesus Christ. And if you walk away from that, you have lost your liberty. You have severed your liberty or your relationship with Christ. We say it this way in your notes. If a believer continues to have a severed relationship with Christ, he will lose his rewards and live with no influence for the kingdom. Okay, so if you're not going to live in grace, you're going to have big problems. Show you this in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, if I fall from grace, if I sever the relationship of liberty in Jesus Christ in my life, then grace is not there to teach me the things I need to know. And so I will begin to live with human Holy Spirits. I'll have to have a human tell me how I'm supposed to live. Because I've severed my relationship with the Holy Spirit. You say, is the Holy Spirit gone? No, He's still in there. But you have fallen and pushed away His grace. Another word for it in the Scriptures is quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still in you. You're a believer. The Holy Spirit is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. But when we walk away from this relationship and we sever it, in our conscience before God, then we're relying on other human beings to tell us how we're supposed to live. And I, I, I could illustrate to you, has there ever been a time in your life where you had a decision to make, and until you got a certain person, no matter who it is, your dad or your mom or your uncle, your aunt, your boss, until you got a certain person to sign off on it, you didn't feel right about it. And then when they signed off on it, oh, it's a good decision now. Right? That was relying on a human source to be your Holy Spirit. 
Now, it's not bad to have advisors. It's not bad to have counselors. The Bible instructs us to do that. But we can't ever let a human take the place that God's supposed to take as the Holy Spirit. And so this is a big deal here in Galatians 5. When he talks about being fallen from grace, he's talking about a severed relationship with Christ that has to be and needs to be restored. Here's the beautiful thing. God says, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. And the moment that you want the relationship back, He wants it back too. In fact, He already wanted it back. And when you take one step toward Him, He runs to meet you. The prodigal son shows that. And there are other passages in Scripture where God's long-suffering mercy is great toward us. His children... Israel, in the Old Testament, so many times fell from grace. They trampled grace. They saw that God had delivered them from, you could talk about so many different things, the Red Sea, the wilderness, water from the rock, defeating their enemies, going across the Jordan River, the Promised Land, all through the book of Joshua, all through the book of Judges. And every time God delivered them, like, okay, now we got it on our own. We got this thing figured out. And as soon as they tried to go on their own, what did they do? They severed their relationship with Almighty's grace. And they tried to go on their own. And if you ever read the book of Judges, they'd be in bondage for 20, 30, 40 years. And they would come together as a group, and they'd say, God, we need your mercy. Could you come back and deliver us? And God would raise up a judge. And here'd be Ehud going in to see the king, a man left-handed, stabbing that guy in the belly. And you have a judge delivering them. And then they'd fall from grace again. Now, does this mean they were no longer the people of God? Nope. God came back to them every time. He loved them with an everlasting love. But they severed the means of their own strength the means of their own walk with God. And that's the same thing Paul's talking about in Galatians 5. We say it this way next in your notes. A Christian should not be unfruitful. In fact, John chapter 15 helps us understand that if you are unfruitful, you're not a Christian. If you've never borne fruit... You're not a Christian. You're not a believer in Christ, not authentically. That's John 15 talking. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he purgeth it. He takes it away. Uh, and so a Christian should not be unfruitful. We should bear fruit. More fruit, much fruit. That's the order in John 15. Okay, let's go back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. We get to verse number 7. You did run well. Who did hinder you that she should not obey the truth? Who hindered you? Who stopped you in the race? Do you know most of the time who stops us? We do. We hinder ourselves. I am my own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy. Okay, it's just plain and simple. 
And in Scripture, it's plain as well. It says this in your notes. If a believer refuses to confess his sins or judge himself, he will be dealt with by the chastening hand of his heavenly Father. Okay, so if if you're not going to self-judge, if you're not going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and direct you and convict your life, then God is going to have to come in as a loving Heavenly Father, and He's going to have to try to bring you back into a relationship with Him. If that never happens, Hebrews talks extensively about this, if God never chastens you and He never attempts to come after you, you are not really His child. That's just plain in the Scripture that that's true. And so if you can walk away from God and it doesn't bother you, you don't have a real relationship with Him. God is wanting to restore this relationship. And He's trying to help these people to understand somebody hindered you. Now look at verse 8. This is a key key sentence in the passage. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Who called them? Jesus Christ. What did he call them to do? To follow him. Did Jesus all of a sudden change his mind? Did the persuasion to go back into bondage come from God? No, it didn't come from God. God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't want you to be confused in your Christian walk. He wants it to be simple. He wants it to be plain. In fact, He said He wants it to be easy. If you'll come after Him, if you'll come unto Him, all you that labor and are heavy laden and take His yoke upon you, He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what He wants for us. But God did not stop us or hinder us. It's somebody else. In your notes, if you're running a race, who will try to keep you from the finish line? Your friend or your enemy? Who's going to try to keep you from the finish line? Your friend or your enemy? Well, in most instances, I'm sure you guys, you're so smart you could come up with one where your friend would try to stop you because there was somebody going to hurt you at the end of the line or something. But in most instances, if you're running a race, it's your enemy that wants to stop you. I remember when I was a little kid, it had to have been, I was trying to think, the 19, probably the 1984 Olympics. Because the 1980 Olympics, were those the ones that got wiped out by Jimmy Carter? Anybody remember Moscow? Somebody help me. Who was around back then? And they got wiped out, right? So 1984, um, they came to Los Angeles. And I was 12 years old. And I watched every second that, that I could see of the network Olympics coverage. And there was a girl from somewhere in Africa. Her name was Zola Budd, I think. Is that right? I didn't write this down. Just thinking this through right here. Um, she was running in this long race. It may have been the mile. may have been because they didn't do the 1,500 meter back then. It was a long race. It may have been the 10,000 meters. And she was taken off. She was like a bullet. 
And uh, she was, had a great pace going. And one of the other competitors tripped her in the race. Tripped her. And uh, to watch, they did it in slow motion. Time after time after time. As her body hit that track. And then all the embers and all the things in the track. And her body rolled. And she's got blood all over. And she didn't, she wasn't worried about her body and the pain of that. But I remember watching her sit up on the track and just start weeping. Because she didn't get to finish the race. She was so devastated she didn't get to finish the race. Now who hindered her? Somebody else. Somebody who wanted to beat her. And, and so this passage is trying to help us understand that not everybody out there wants you to finish the race. God does. God is the author and finisher of our faith. But not everybody else does. We say this. Next in your notes. It is impossible to blame deviating from grace on God. He has nothing to do with turning to the bondage of sin or law. Okay, so this persuasion cometh not from God. God is not the one who led you to turn back in the race. God is not the one who told you to return to bondage. God's not the one who told you to take up your addictions again. God's not the one who told you to leave your husband or wife. God's not the one who told you to go into sin and then blame it on him. But yet people do it again and again. I believe God's leaving me. I'm 17 and God's leaving, leaving me to leave home because my parents are too hard or oppressive. My mic is messing up again. Can we keep going? Is on this side of the stage? How about here? How about here? You good over there? All right, so, we good? Perfect? Yeah, okay, it's great. Thank you. I don't know what I'm talking about. God is not somebody you can blame your bad decisions on. So when you decide to do something really dumb in your life, do not say, I think God's leading me to do this. That's what now, we get to this ninth verse about leaven. Leaven. And we know it is yeast. Makes bread rise. Or scrumptious in your notes. Leaven is always mentioned in the Old Testament in an evil sense. So leaven throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, was evil. That's why God wanted his people to eat unleavened Pharisees. 
Pharisees. Okay, he also talked about some others. Leaven of the Sadducees, or to the Sadducees, was skepticism of truth. That's in Matthew 22, verses 25 through 29. Was worldliness, Matthew 22, 16 through 21. Their worldliness was leaven. So watch this, this is very, very interesting. Anything that caused a person to go away from God and from his truth was leaven in the scripture. And now it says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It's almost poetic, that verse. And here's how we say it in your notes. It only takes a little leaven to fill any life with spiritual bondage. Here's what it means. Either your life is full of God, or leaven has crept in and it is full of leaven. Okay? Um, you, you bread makers, how, much, how many packages of yeast does it take to make a loaf of bread? One? Ten? How many packages of yeast does it take to make cinnamon rolls? One? You might add a little extra. Yeah? All right? The more leaven you add, the puffier they get. And that's the way your life is. You add anything that's not of God to your life, and it will cause your life to inflate with the wrong thing. That's what this whole pastor is about. That's what Paul wanted to keep them from and protect them from leaven. All right, let's stand. We'll be dismissed. And don't forget about your service groups tonight. Stop by and check out what's going on. We do have uh, Awana Awards coming up in just a couple weeks. And we've got a lot of things going on here in the spring with all of our ministries. Let's pray, and we'll go home and eat some cinnamon rolls. Or at least they will. How long does it take cinnamon roll dough to rise?